So we're in Isaiah, which is to the left of Daniel. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart... You remember, in our last study, we discussed that the Bible says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? Well, here it says, For thou hast said in thine heart... Now, who is saying this? Who? All right, what's his name according to this reference? Lucifer, that's right. And Lucifer is the one that fell from heaven. Now, Jesus said, I beheld who? Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You just had the answers backwards. That's all. All right, so here we are. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, we're in verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. My friend, was Lucifer already in heaven? Was he? Was he or was he not? He was. He was in heaven. Where was he in heaven? The sanctuary. What part of the sanctuary? The most holy place. And who lived in the most holy place? That's right, God. And so Lucifer was in the presence of God in heaven. Can you get any higher than that? But he wanted to, didn't he? Because he says here, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Can we take a little caveat here to Revelation chapter 12? Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. This isn't on your screen. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. The Word of God reads like this, And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. When the Bible says that a third part of the stars of heaven were cast to the earth, what are those stars? How do you know that? Where is it in the Bible? See, we have to have a thus saith the Lord, don't we? Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Verse 20. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Right there in the middle of it. Well, we'll start in the beginning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. You're there, I'm there. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and of the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the what? Angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So stars in prophecy are angels. That's right. So now let's go back over here to Isaiah chapter 14. Are you with me? Okay. Making sure I don't have a confusion mark. All right. The Bible says here in verse 13 of Isaiah 14, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Was Lucifer one of the two highest angels in heaven? He was. Was he content with that? He was not. So he wanted to be even higher than the creator of the stars. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. Who was the creator of the stars of heaven? Jesus was. Now that would take four or five texts, so we won't go into that caveat. But you remember when God created everything, God created everything good. And when God looks back and sees it all, He says it is very good. Since God created everything very good, the only way that we have evil is because a perfect angel made the decision to revolt against God. And his issue was the issue of pride. And you see that all throughout here, don't you? I, he says in verse 13, will ascend into heaven. Notice all of these terms of upward motion as well. I will ascend into what? Heaven. That's two upward terms. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now this is very significant. I don't know if you're intending on getting the entire set of Life on the Edge Bible studies, but when we get to the Bible study on the sanctuary, we will see that God's throne, prior to God moving into the most holy place, was on the north side of the holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. And so Lucifer wanted to sit in the place of God. He wanted to sit in the place of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, verse 14. All of these upward motion terms, are you picking all these up? I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now, do you know what the clouds are representations of? What? Can you prove that to me from Scripture? Psalms, I think. You're right. You're thinking correctly. All right. I need. Who has the King James Version Bible here? This only works in the King James Version. Who has that? I have one here. I have one here. All right. Why don't you look up Psalm 68, 17, and you look up Psalm 104, verse 3. Psalm 68, 17. Psalm 104, verse 3. And Bonnie, you'll read Psalm 68, 17. What does it say? Okay, stop right there. Psalm 68 verse 17 says, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. So according to Scripture, chariots equal what? Angels. All right, we're just going to do an algebraic equation. And you're in Psalm 104 verse 3, is that right? You want to read that for us? Okay, so the key phrase in Psalm 104, verse 3, who maketh the chariot, the clouds his chariots. So just follow the algebraic equation. Clouds equal what? Chariots, which are equal to angels. So the clouds are the same thing as the angels. Angels. Do you see that? All right, Psalm 104, verse 3 says that clouds are chariots. Psalm 68.17 says that chariots are angels. Do you see that? So clouds equal chariots equal angels. So we could take this part of the equation out because it's all equal all the way across and we could say that clouds equal 
angels. You're absolutely right. That's why it's so amazing. You remember in a, when you do the topical Bible study on the second coming, I just want to just burst out here because it's my last opportunity, right? On, uh, when you do the Bible study, and it's in the series as well, on the second coming, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends in a what? In a cloud. And then all of a sudden, these two men stand beside the disciples in white apparel. What were those two men? They came out of that cloud. They're angels. You go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, and the Bible says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. What are those clouds He's coming in? Angels. That's powerful. So here's Lucifer. <laughs> I want to be higher than the clouds. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer had given one of the two, been given one of the two highest positions in heaven. And Lucifer was not content. Now earlier we talked about Lucifer. God had given Lucifer good gifts, but Lucifer had perverted that. God may have given us good gifts and we may be perverting that. And here we have Lucifer, Lucifer who's been given one of the highest positions in heaven. And he's not content. Maybe we are not content with where God has us right now. You know, sometimes I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Lord has called me to be at Lay Institute for Evangelism. Sometimes I feel a little overwhelmed and I say, God, it's not supposed to feel this way. What is it that I'm doing that is not in your will? Because you called me here. This shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. My friends, we need to ask that question of God. If we're discouraged or distraught and say, God, what am I doing that is not in your will right now? Anyway, that's another, oh man, we could just preach a whole sermon on that. Let's keep going here. I will be like the Most High. The last thing he said there in verse 14. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now all we needed to do was read through verse 14, right? Whoops, I bit my page there. So the reason we went here was to show that the Lucifer was the name of this devil, this Satan that was the enemy that sowed the tares among the wheat. Who sowed the good seed? Who sowed the good seed? Jesus did. You're absolutely right, Bonnie. Let's go now. We're going to do a quick review, but we just did our review, so we'll skip it. These are just the first six references that we've just gone over, and now we'll go over the rest of them in the rest of this study. So our next section is the thrust of evil. What is it that gives evil its motivation? What does evil want? What drives it? What causes it to act? That's what we are going to ask right now. And so we are going, we're in the sixth reference of the great controversy, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. You see all that? That's the code you mark. And our next reference that we're going to, to see how evil works itself, is what? What's our next reference in this study? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Y'all are good. You must have been created by God. Here we are. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 4. 2 Thessalonians, and you remember yesterday we learned that Thessalonians is in the T section of the New Testament, and the T section of the New Testament is in alphabetical order. 
So if you ever want to know whether you have to turn to the right or the left from Timothy, all you have to do is remember Thessalonians is to the left and Titus is to the right. So here we are, Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And you tell me if any of this language in here sounds familiar to what we just read. Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man, this is verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the second coming of Jesus, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Who is it that opposed God and exalted himself above all that is called God? Lucifer, the angel that became, what's, what are his other names? Satan and the devil, excuse me. Then notice what it says next in verse 4. Or that is worshipped. That's going to be our key focus. When it came to God, we focused on God being good. God creates things that are good, good, very good. Evil wants worship. Evil wants worship. Verse, continuing on in verse 4. So that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Lucifer, doesn't it? So here in this, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the reason that we are here is to show how evil works itself out. And evil works itself out in opposing God, in lifting itself above all that is called God, and in desiring and wanting the worship of God. That's what gives evil its thrust, its desire to be above God, to be above all that is called God, and to be worshipped. And we're going to look at that at the end of time, and this is covered in one of the later Bible studies in that series, Life on the Edge. At the end of time, Lucifer will work through an entity to get worship. Now, contrary to cartoonish belief, Lucifer is not red. He does not have horns on his head, nor a tail behind him, or a pitchfork in his hand. Lucifer was a beautifully created angel. And Lucifer here, if Lucifer came to you and said, hey, I'm Lucifer, I'm the devil, I'm Satan, I fell from heaven, you remember me, you read about me, GYC 2009, you remember that? I want you to worship me. What would you do? Like, forget it, dude. No chance. But if he could deceive you into worshiping him, he would get exactly what he wanted and you would be deceived. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? The only way you and I can avoid being deceived is to study the Word of God. And that's what we're doing, isn't it? Isn't this fun? 
All right, let's go to our next reference now. We are going to see the outworking or the thrust of evil in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 12 and verse 9. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says this in Revelation 13 and verse 1. The Word of God says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? So notice this scenario here. A dragon, let's see, let's put the dragon over here. A dragon gets worship because people worship a beast. The dragon gave his power, gave his authority, and gave his seat or his throne to this dragon. To this, this beast, rather. So that all the power, the seat or his throne or his authority, all of that the dragon gives to the beast. And the Bible says there in verse 3 that all the world wondered after the beast. Where did the beast get his power? From the dragon. Where did he get his seat or his throne? From the dragon. Where did he get his authority? From the dragon. So if the beast is worshipped, then who gets the worship? The dragon does. Because the dragon set this fella up didn't he? Look at what the Bible says here. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon. They wandered after the beast. And by wandering after the beast, they are actually worshipping the dragon. Verse 4, Which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast. Now, God is never described as a beast. Of course, the Lion of the tribe of Judah but not a beast. Who does Scripture tell us the dragon is? Remember, Lucifer wanted to be in the place of God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He wanted the power of God. He wanted the authority of God, but he wanted nothing to do with the graciousness of God. Who is it that this dragon is? The Bible tells us. And so what I've done here, or what you can do in your Bible rather, is in parentheses over the word dragon. When you're marking this, over the word dragon in verse 2 or in verse 4, you want to put in parentheses Revelation 12. And what's the verse up there? 9. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Because that's the biblical reference that tells us who the dragon is. And what does it say in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9? The Bible says, And the great dragon was cast out. The great what was cast out? Dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the who? The devil. Who was it that was responsible for sowing the tares? 
the devil. That dragon, it said, was cast out. Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and what? Satan. Who was it that Jesus saw fall like lightning from heaven? Satan. That old dragon called the serpent. Who was it that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden? Satan. The serpent, you're right. Called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Remember, he drew a third part of the stars, right? His angels were cast out with him. So this dragon that gives power, seat, and authority to the beast is none other than who? Satan. So Satan gets his worship by people worshiping the what? The beast. Now, my friends, do you want to know who the beast is? you got to get that Life on the Edge DVD set. Or continue to study the Bible by yourself. So that's the reason we went here to Revelation chapter 12, verses, or 13, verses 1 through 4, and then 12, 9. It's to show that Lucifer, the devil, Satan, the serpent, gives his power, his seat, his authority to the beast. And when people worship the beast, they're actually worshiping Satan. And he deceives the world, the Bible says. Mm. Let's go to our next reference here. You were still here in Revelation 13, so we don't have to go very far. And the reason we're here is to show all of the worship texts that deal with Satan. God created things that were good, 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 very good. And now here, so we're going to see that Satan, Lucifer, the dragon, wants worship, 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 worship. So let's go here. Revelation chapter 13. So again, what I've done here is I've just circled the worship, the worship words in these references when I marked my Bible on this one. So we're in Revelation chapter 13 and verse, what does it say there? Verse 4, 8, 12, and 15. So let's look at verse 4. And they, what's the word? Worshipped, circle it, the dragon, and gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And then verse, what are we going to? 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're going to verse 12. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to what? Worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now we're going to Revelation 14 verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man, what's the word? Worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehand or in his head. The same shall drink. Let's go. What's our next reference? Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Lucifer wants, wanted worship so bad that he would rebel against the kingdom of God and he would fall out of heaven and his name would be changed to serpent, devil, Satan, dragon, our adversary, the son of perdition. Incidentally, when we were back there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the only other time the term son of perdition is used is in describing Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Christ. And Judas was not a violent opposer of Christ. You remember, he betrayed Christ with a what? With a kiss. He was a subtle imposter, not a violent opposer. 
And so you find the same thing when Satan found out that he couldn't persecute the church to the point of annihilating those that believed in the Word and the Word of God alone. He resorted to deception. The same thing that he started with. So here we are. All Lucifer wanted was worship. Can you imagine? Lucifer wants the Creator to worship the created. And you see this very, very powerfully in our 10th reference up here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9. The Bible says here, Matthew, the fourth chapter, the ninth verse. By the way, I'll give you a little teaching, teaching moment here during this time, right in this reference. Every time Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Jesus says to Satan, It is written. Jesus combated Satan with the same power that is accessible to you and to me. You struggle with something in your life? You take Bible verses that apply to your situation, and when Satan tempts you with that struggle, you say, it is written, and you quote the Word of God. And God will give you victory. Here we are, Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. The reason that we, were, that we are here is to show that Satan even wanted Jesus to worship him. He's so pompous and arrogant. I will exalt my throne. I will sit up on the sides of the north in the congregation. I will be like the Most High. I will do this. I will do that. Some people say that Satan had an eye problem. Here we are, the third temptation. Verse 9. Verse 9. So that, does that say verse 9? Praise the Lord, it does. And saith unto him, Satan is talking to Jesus. This is the third of the temptations. All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and what? Worship me. Jesus, praise the Lord, comes back and he says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So worship is the same thing as serving, isn't it? Jesus says, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord God, thy God only, and Him only shalt thou serve. So service is the same thing as worship. So which, whatever it is that we do shows who we worship. All right? So Satan wanted even his Creator, the one who in the beginning made him good, very good. He wanted his Creator to worship him. You know what? Just the thought of that drives me nuts. Have you ever seen a kid that tells his or her parents what to do? Have you ever? Maybe you've been that kid. That drives me nuts. Because the Creator never submits to the created. But Satan says, ah, oh, let me tell you something, O oh great Creator. 
You fall down and worship me, and I will give you everything that you made. You know, my friends, pride makes us plumb stupid. It does, doesn't it? All right, let's, let's keep going here. Oh, I just bent a second page. We're going to do a quick review here. We've just gone over the thrust of evil. What does evil want? Worship. That's absolutely right. Caroline. Right? Caroline. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, we went there to show that the devil exalted himself above God. He's called the son of perdition. The only other time that happens is when uh, the Bible is describing Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ. And he exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Revelation 13, 1 through 4, we went there to show that here's this dragon that gives his power, his seat, and authority to a beast. And if we worship the beast, then we're actually worshipping the dragon. That's absolutely right. Revelation 13, 4, 8, 12, 15, and 14, verses 9 and 11, were all the worship texts to show that the devil is focused on getting the worship of the people that God alone deserves. And he deceives them to do that. And then we went to Matthew chapter 4, verse 9 to show that he was so pompous, so arrogant, so proud that he would even ask the Creator to bow down and worship him. That, my friends, is plumb ridiculous. And yet, some of us will say, but God, it's only five minutes after sundown. Surely I can clock out five minutes after sundown. It's only 15 minutes before the sun goes down on Sabbath, Lord. And we've got a great Bible. I wish I had time to give you the Bible study on the Sabbath. Oh, it's just good, Caroline. You'd like it. Let's go now to our third part of this Bible study, the cosmic battle over you. Now, when I'm giving this Bible study, I tell people there's three divisions to this Bible study. The first one is the origin of evil. The second one is the thrust of evil. And the third one is the cosmic battle over you. So we're going to see three divisions. Three divisions. And so now we're on our third division. And we're going from Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. We're going to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. But notice here on the screen, before we get there, you'll notice there, there's a reference here to Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. In Genesis chapter, or chapters 1 and 2, you see a God in face-to-face -face communication with a perfect people. You get over to Revelation 21 and 22, you see God in face-to-face -face communication with a perfect people. Everything that happens in between Genesis 3 and Revelation chapter 20 is God trying to bring back together that face-to-face communication with His people. And my friends, God has made that possible. But there's a battle going on right now over you. Satan wants your worship. God deserves your worship. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. So you are in Matthew. You're simply turning to the right. You'll go past the T section. You go past Hebrews, which is right after the T section. Then you have James. Then you have 1 Peter. And we are going to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Now, what we're doing here is we're getting into the appeal of this Bible study. We're getting into the appeal of the Bible study. Now, usually when I give a Bible study, I always read the appeal texts. 
Because I want my voice to be such that someone wants to hear what God has to say. And you don't have to say, hey, listen up! You don't have to do that. Sorry about scaring you there, sister. But you could say, hey, God is telling us that there is a battle going on between Him and Lucifer. You can get that intensity in your voice because you want to draw that person into that study. And God is actually using you as His mouthpiece at that moment. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that is. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Lots of people were not last night. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, have you ever seen... You know, it's quite interesting. We as Christians love nature programs, don't we? We love nature programs. You like nature programs? Put your hands up. Do you watch the nature program a little more close when the lion is chasing the gazelle? You do, don't you? It's pretty sad, isn't it? We, we like that stuff. And maybe that's our problem right now. Satan has made evil look so good that we just like that stuff. The Bible says that our adversary, the devil, Satan, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. My friends, listen, he didn't say he walks about like a quiet lion. He walks about like a roaring lion. If you and I will just open up our ears to the Word of God, we will be able to recognize the roar of Satan and stay away from him. But if our ears are not tuned into the Word of God, that roar is going to sound like the tweet of a little yellow bird in the lobby of a hotel. And we're going to be drawn to it. By the way, when you give Bible studies, it's, very, it's always good if you can use illustrations that people can relate to. Have you stopped to look at the yellow bird? Oh, you just noticed him this morning. You see, Satan will make it look... I'm not saying you can't stop and look at the yellow bird, you understand. Just use it as an illustration. Okay, let's go back here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Now, what does the word devour mean? To consume. You know what you may want to do right here? You may want to put in little parentheses beside this text. It has nothing to do with this Bible study, but it will help you in another Bible study. You will want to put Revelation chapter 20 and verse 9. That word devour is there as well. Some people say that when the fires of God, or fires poured out from God out of heaven and devours the wicked, that they burn forever and ever and ever and ever. But over here in in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where it says Satan walks about seeking whom he may devour, people don't say, oh, right there, Satan wants to burn people forever and ever and ever. They will say, no way, Satan wants to kill us. He wants to get rid of us. He doesn't want us to exist anymore in the kingdom of God. So see, you can use that. You have to use the Word of God to straighten out people's misconceptions of the Word of God. And the only way to do that is to know your Bible. Some people ask, Philip, they ask any evangelist, you ask any evangelist, has anybody ever asked you, how do you know the Bible so well? Maybe you've asked somebody that question. Maybe you've thought that question. The only way that happens 
is because they're continually giving Bible studies and people are asking them questions and they study it out and they give them a biblical answer. Somebody else asks them the same question, they say, Bing, I remember that. They go back to the same place over and over and over again. My friends, if you want to be like that, all you have to do is start giving Bible studies. You start giving Bible studies, you watch the first person that the Lord uses you to bring to, into a saving relationship with Jesus. You watch that person bury that old life in the watery grave of baptism and guaranteed, you're hooked. You're hooked. You won't ever want to let go of doing that. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 now. Revelation chapter 12. We've been to verse 9 to show that the dragon was Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through to 9. Revelation is, of course, probably one of the two easiest books to find in the Bible. You know what the third and fourth books, easiest books to find are? Psalms? Why? Because you can just open your Bible to the middle? See if that works. Come on, Caroline. No, it doesn't work, does it? So sometimes it does. But it's got to be Malachi and Matthew. It's got to be. Because everybody knows where Matthew is. Most people. And then you just back up one and you're Malachi. So anyway, here we are. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, And there was war in heaven. There was what? War in heaven. It's quite interesting that that word war, this is just a little side note, that word war is polemos. That's where you and I get our word politics. There was a political debate in heaven. Continuing on here. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. By the way, this is not the time to cover the fact that Scripture tells us that Michael the archangel is Jesus. If you do that early on, this is only the third Bible study in the series of Bible studies that you're going to be marking and in the Bible studies that you're going to be giving. If you start that early telling people that Michael the archangel is Jesus, then people are going to say, you are a Jehovah's Witness and you're affiliated with him. Get out of my home and leave me alone. Don't cause yourself any more grief than is necessary when you start Bible studies with someone. So this is not the time to tell them that Michael the Archangel is Jesus. It's very easy to do that, by the way. And if we have time, I'll do that right at the end of this lesson. And there was war in heaven, verse 7. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. So what I tell people is, you remember, there was the forces of good that created everything what? Good, and they're fighting against the, the uh, enemy, and the enemy that sowed the tares was the devil. So we have the forces of good fighting against the forces of evil, don't we? That's what I tell people in this Bible study. I don't go to Michael being the archangel, Michael the archangel being Jesus. Verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Verse 9, the verse we've already read, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the what? The earth and his angels were cast out with him. My friends, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Where is he walking about? On earth. And who is he seeking to devour? Now, my friends, Satan is no fool other than the fact that he rebelled against the government of God. 
Satan well knows that all he has to do is get you on one little sin and you will be devoured by the fire that is poured out from God out of heaven. You and I need Jesus desperately, don't we? Desperately we need Jesus. The Bible says that Satan was cast to this earth. He's walking about like a roaring lion and he is seeking to devour you. The only way you can have victory over Satan, the only way that you can avoid being deceived by Lucifer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. This is our 13th, 13th text. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 chapter 15 rather. Don't listen to me. Look at the screen. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 57. Maybe we should read read 56 with it. Let's do that. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks, and this is our, our verse here, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been to the zoo? How many of you have been to the zoo? See, I'm using another illustration to make this point. You go to the zoo. Have you ever been outside the lion's cage? You ever been outside the lion's cage? What's that lion doing? He's got this well-worn path right there in front of that fence, doesn't he? He's just pacing back and forth. The only protection you have from that lion is what? A three millimeter wide piece of wire that's strung up like this, and there's lots of them. If that fence wasn't there, you wouldn't say, Oh, that's a cute little lion. It's a look at its mane. Oh, wow, did you see it yawn? Oh, listen to it roar. Isn't that exciting, Mom? If that fence wasn't there, what would you be doing? My friends, you'd be dead. Dead. The only reason that we haven't been devoured is because we have a fence. And that fence has a name. And that name is Jesus. Jesus is the only way that you and I can have victory in this world over that old serpent called the devil and Satan who walks about on this earth as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've got to have Jesus, don't we? We've got to have Him. Without Him, we're lion food. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. What does Jesus give us to enable us to have that victory in Him. 
What does he give us to enable us to have that victory in him? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. The Bible says here, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the what? Power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If we ask Christ to come into our life, He makes available to us His power and His wisdom. Oh, but you don't understand. You're a Bible instructor. You're teaching me these things in my home. You have your life all together. You don't know what I'm struggling with. People say that to me and I say, my friends, you just don't know my God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. When Christ's power creates something, how does he create it? Good. Very good. You and I can have victory in this battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil if we have Jesus as our fence. We desperately need the power and the wisdom that comes from Jesus. Turn with me to our last reference. Our last reference, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. So remember, 1 John is back near to the book of Revelation. You find the book of Revelation, you've almost found 1 John. So you're turning to the left from Revelation, turning to the left there. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Notice this, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. The Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now where was Lucifer cast down to? The world, to this earth. And the Bible says, right there in verse 4 of 1 John 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you, greater is he that is what? Let's put our thinking caps on. Greater is he that is what? In you. I don't know about you, but people don't just walk into my house. Do people just walk into your house? What do they do? They knock, and then I go open the door, and I ask them to come in. My friend, today you have heard the voice of God. We have done exactly what Jesus did when he studied scripture. We've taken references from here, references from here, references from here, and we have compiled a bunch of facts. And those facts have told us that there's a God that has created everything good and there is an enemy that was created perfect until iniquity was found in him. He perverted the gifts that God had given him. And all of these facts add up to this point that without Jesus, we will not be able to overcome the enemy. Is it your desire? To overcome the enemy. 
This is the third study in the series, the Life on the Edge series. As we continue to study, and I realize this is our last lesson in this room, but you're right here looking at this set behind me. It's the same thing you find on those DVDs. You can finish this entire series of Bible studies. And you can go out and you can share with people that there is a God that can tell the end from the beginning. Before things happen, and then they happen so that we can believe. There's a God that is so concerned about us that He even gives us all of the signs of His second coming. Everything that would point to the coming of Jesus being near. There is a God that has overcome Satan for us. We've also learned in these, this, these, this is the sixth one in these six lessons that God cared so much about us that He even sent us a prophet to remind us that Jesus was coming soon. God is going to use you, even if you don't get the rest of these Bible studies. The reason that God called you to be here is so that you could use what you have learned. If you don't use it, you will lose it. So I'll ask this. Is it your desire to take what you have learned in these classes and to turn the world upside down? If that's your desire, I want you to stand up right where you are. Now you've stood up here on this earth, but this earth is temporal. There's a recording angel in heaven that has taken your name and he didn't even have to read your name tag and has marked your decision in the books of record. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word. We ask, Father, that you will continue to be with us as we sharpen our swords as we live our life on the edge of your word. And Jesus, you know exactly who we're going to be able to share this with. Maybe even this afternoon, some of us will have the opportunity to share the power of the word of God here in Louisville, Kentucky, or in Indiana. We pray, Father, that you will be with us, protect us this afternoon and give us that opportunity. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, you can have a seat. We are, uh, we are finished with this Bible study. I told you if we had some time, I would share some other things with you. So unless, if you want to leave, you're more than welcome to leave. But uh, would you like to see verses in the Bible that show that Jesus is Michael the Archangel? Would you like that? All right, well, let's open our Bibles to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a what? with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, 
And with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if you notice in, this, in the English language there, commas are used to separate descriptions of the same thing. Let's do it this way. George went to eat popcorn, comma, ice cream, comma, and Tootsie Rolls with his brother. We could take out the ice cream and the Tootsie Rolls and say George went to eat popcorn with his brother, couldn't we? And that would be true, right? We could take out the popcorn and put in the ice cream and say George went to eat ice cream with his brother and that would still be true, wouldn't it? It would still be describing what George is going to do with his brother. We could take out the ice cream and put in the Tootsie Roll and say George was... Let's do it this way. George went to eat carrots with his brother Right? And that would still describe what George is doing. So we have commas here that are separating descriptions that describe the Lord who is descending from heaven. So let's read this verse this way. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Would that still be true? Would it? All right. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel. Would that still be true? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Would that still be true? Alright, my friends, if that's still true, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, then we have to ask ourselves, according to Scripture, whose voice is it that wakes up the dead? It's a good question, isn't it? Whose voice is it? If the voice of the archangel is spoken and the dead in Christ rise first, then who is, whose voice is it that raises the dead? Go with me to John chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 5, verse 26. Verse 26. John chapter 5 verse 26 says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Verse 27. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So who is this talking about? Who is the Son of Man? That's Jesus. Verse 28. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice. Whose voice? Jesus' voice. Verse 29, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Whose voice is it that raises the dead? It's the voice of Jesus. So who is the voice of the archangel? Jesus. Remember, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Is that clear enough? There you have it. Michael the archangel is Jesus, according to Scripture. You also have in Jude, if you go to the book of Jude, right before Revelation, Jude verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, Jude 9, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, 
he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but says, The Lord rebuke thee. So here we have Michael having a discussion with the devil over the body of Moses. And Michael says, The Lord rebuke thee. So here you have Jesus saying to the devil, Moses is mine. Why don't you just take a hike? Jesus' voice is the voice that wakes up the dead. The archangel's voice wakes up the dead. And the name of the archangel is Michael. Now the term archangel, arch just means the one who is over or the one that is in charge of. So Michael, the archangel, is Michael who is in charge or over or in command of the angels. It's very interesting that the only time you see the name Michael used as Michael the archangel is when the devil and Jesus are contending with each other. Very interesting. You can do some study on that through the book of Daniel and also in the book of Revelation. Do you have any questions over the Bible studies that we've gone over? Yes, ma'am. The question is over the last study of the question. This very last thing that we, the Michael the Archangel? The statement that I made? Oh, this last section here, the cosmic battle over you? Or are we talking about, about Michael being Jesus? Well, during the study, when we were reading Revelation chapter 12, verses 6 or 7 through 9, I said this is not the time to tell people that Michael the Archangel is Jesus because they'll identify you then with the Jehovah's Witness organization. So you don't, you don't do that during this study. So I, that's why I save that to the end so it's a separate thing and doesn't occur during this study. Is that what maybe you're referring to? Okay. Any other questions on things that we have studied? I'd like to remind you, don't forget to go to the back and make sure that you get your card scanned because I know some of you are wanting the discount off of the uh, Life on the Edge series back there. And if you've been to all six of our classes, then they'll give you a $10 discount off of that. Uh, but uh, those of you that haven't registered, why don't you go ahead and register, and then we'll have your contact information. And when new products come out, uh, we're actually trying, not trying, but we're actually in the process of putting our entire 16-week course on DVD. We recognize that not everybody can just take 16 weeks off. Uh, you can take two weeks off. Most people get 10 days of paid vacation a year anyway. But uh, you could come and take our two-week class, which is Life on the Edge. Um, or you could purchase that back there on that table. But our goal is to make it easy for even people that can't get off work or um, have family to take care of. Maybe they're retired, but they can't get off work because they have to take care of somebody else. But you would like to be able to come to a school like Lay Institute for Evangelism. And so if you'll give us your contact information, we'll keep updating you on the new classes that come out. This coming spring, we're recording our first week, which is called the Cycle of Evangelism. We're also recording a class on the Spirit of Prophecy. We're also recording a class on hermeneutics. And then we'll also be recording a, um, an evangelistic meeting that you can use as a witnessing tool. And it'll be the latest up-to-date to this year. Pastor Sizemore is our evangelist. If your church is looking for an evangelist, you can also go get one of our cards up there. Uh, he doesn't have any cards up there right now. But you can take my card or a latest card and go to our website. And uh, your church can request to have him come and do an evangelistic meeting for you. So uh, that's all available back there at the table. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, don't forget to pray 
that the Lord will lead you to the right people this afternoon. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.